This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on what to wear when working out at work, and boy did we have a long answer. Giving cash as a wedding gift, and eating when not everyone has been served their food yet. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about following up after interviewing for a job. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on Wedgwood wear and its impact. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in beautiful Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're like back at it. You all have heard us talk about the adventures we were heading on over the course of like the week around Memorial Day. But we're like, we're back in the office. We're hitting emails, doing podcasts, editing things, creating new products. I I feel like like June has started with such a wonderful, like explosive out of the gate start for us. <laughs> Life is good. Summer is on. Feeling Summer is fresh. <laughs> but how was your time down on the ver- We were quite literally ships in the night or ships at midday, I guess, based on when our ferries were, were coming to and from the island. Ferries crossing in opposite directions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but did you and, the, you and the girls all... And I can't say that anymore. You've got a son. Did you and the kids That's and so true. all have a good... I know. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> did you and the kids and Pooj all have a good time down on the vineyard? We did. It was so, so, so nice in so many ways. There were some elements of the trip that were nice in terms of their continuity. Anisha's mm-hmm. starting to remember previous visits. She looks forward to the big wave beach and the flying horses carousel. And there were also some new things. I I told you about it, that we discovered the Martha's Vineyard Museum on this trip as a family. And it's a a relatively new facility. So Mm -hmm. it was something we got to discover together as a family. It wasn't me giving them a nostalgic tour of my childhood. (laughs) Totally, yeah. Pooj and I trying to teach the girls about something that we love about going to Martha's Vineyard. But (laughs) it was really a a day of discovery as a family and was just so much fun. And I couldn't recommend it highly enough to anybody out there that finds themselves on Martha's Vineyard for an extended stay or even just a day visit. I was going to say from Boston, it's a really easy day trip. It really is. And, and and what a place to ground your afternoon as you look for a fish sandwich and maybe a beach to watch a sunset on. Um, a little bit of time at the Martha's Vineyard Museum and Vineyard Haven would be time well spent. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, I and let did, me flip the question around yeah, and ask the same say. thing of you. How was your trip? How'd it go? I, I did not make it to the Martha's Vineyard Museum. And I had really good intentions of going because you and I are really hopeful that we're going to do actually a book event because the museum you know, recognizes Emily as, as a prominent island resident. And it'd be really cool to get to do something with them down there. But I was up to my elbows in paint and Murphy's oil soap scrub, whatever it is. Um, I can smell it already. It was really great. I am really excited to be on the training team for the farm and to get to go down there and to see a whole bunch of my cousins and and work on the property. It was an intense experience, I would say, because I also like Y'all, I live alone, (laughs) like living with people who then aren't your immediate family for a week is different. And I did find myself really leaning on my etiquette skills and including because and I am going to share this on the podcast because I thought it was it was just really funny. I had just been writing out some etiquette tips for a new program that we are going to be launching soon. And in those tips, one of the things I was writing about was the self-introduction and how incredibly helpful the self-introduction is and how it can just be that go-to thing. We often talk about manners as what people expect from us, what we can expect from ourselves, and they can give us a sense of confidence when we know those two things. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't say where and when, but I spotted someone I thought was catching my eye. And I immediately, the first thing I did when I ran across him was I stuck my hand out and said, hi, I'm Lizzie. And just did that self-introduction, got myself a nice little conversation. I wouldn't say it was a flirtatious conversation. I didn't end up with like numbers or anything after it. But I felt really confident that my etiquette skills allowed me to engage with someone who had caught my eye and I was a little bit interested in finding some more out about. And it got me that conversation that did that. So that was kind of a confidence booster for me that definitely came directly from the etiquette we talk about in our work and on this podcast. An icebreaker worked to break the ice. (laughs) It was and it was like there were no jokes. There was nothing. It was a handshake and my name and a nice smile. (laughs) Like, but that was that was kind of fun to see see etiquette, like use our own etiquette in my own life. But it was it was a great experience. I felt really useful, which was really nice. And I did a lot of painting of furniture and we kind of redecorated a few of the rooms by only using the things that we had within the house. So it was like that thrifty creative version of things, you know, where you're like making do with what you have, but you really were in the end able to spruce things up. I was really grateful that my other cousins who have been a part of this team for longer, when they came through the house, they all said, wow, this place looks really great. So nice. I felt really confident about that. And like I was a a valued member of the team and, and everything. So it was a really successful first first trip down as a worker at the farm. And I I just, I can't tell you enough. I really, really loved it. I came away very fulfilled. <laughs> Did you feel connected to Emily Post as you were painting furniture? Okay, so yes, I did. As Dan knows both from family history and from the furniture that we have all uh, received as we did things like sell our house on the vineyard that one of the things she really liked doing was repainting her furniture. And we would think of a lot of the rooms in the house as like the yellow room, the teal room, or, oh, that's the furniture from the annex, you know, and and you kind of know what 
what that's going to look like. I have a bunch of that stuff throughout my house, too, and a lot of Mm -hmm. it has been repainted. But I felt very much like Emily sitting out, you know, on a lawn, on Martha's Vineyard, painting chairs and things and, and just sprucing them up for this summer season. It definitely had that kind of connection. And I did drive by the house and it does still look very beautiful. And and the new owners just, they do such a lovely job with it. The gardens weren't quite in like bloom yet because it was still a little early, but you yeah. could see stuff coming. So it was cool. I was sitting around the dining room table from that house at the new house and it's blue and i was talking with anisha about her great great grandmother painting it that color and great great we were, great grandmother <laughs> oh my goodness her great 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 grandmother yeah. painting it that color and she's such a fan of color she won't wear half the clothes that i used to buy her because i didn't know to buy bright colors now i know and <laughs> I, I do a better job of picking things that she'll like but for my color girl to hear that and to think about that, it was it was a lot of fun. It definitely was a, a family connection that I was making also. Yeah. Like c- connected her to her great, great, great grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, I'm glad we both got excellent trips down there. I'm excited to go down and enjoy the farm rather than work on it too later this summer. But it, it was a really cool and a, a much needed break from Vermont, I think. But it's nice to be back here and, and getting back into the swing of life up here for the summer, which is always enjoyable. And I said it at the start, but really feeling it, feeling refreshed. I was saying to Pooja, how good a week of vacation made me feel, that it really was a a, a relief. It felt like a big exhale on the whole year, the whole winter. And I find myself renewed. I've got energy for both work and social life. It's it's working. (laughs) The vacation is working, which is weird. It should be not working, but it's so it's not working the way it's meant to not work. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, even though we've done a lot of not working, we've got some work to do, (laughs) cuz. Yeah. Let's get to some of our listener questions today. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story, long or short. It doesn't matter. 
I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is titled Fitness and Fashion, and I do believe it, I think it's a first for the podcast. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you for all you do to keep the world a calmer, nicer place. I have a question I don't think I've heard addressed on your podcast, office gym etiquette. I have recently embarked on a new fitness and nutrition plan. My work generously provides me with meals as well as access to the office gym. When I do go into the office, I am often putting in, counting commuting time, a 12-hour day. So working out on my lunch hour is very important if I'm going to stay consistent. What is the etiquette of working out at company gyms? When I'm at home, I often work out in spandex pants and my sports bra. I doubt this would be appropriate if I were, say, on the treadmill next to my boss does it matter if my workout clothes have stains or tears in them, as when things are no longer good for day-to-day -day wear, they often become my workout wear to keep it out of landfills longer? Post-workout, what is an acceptable appearance, given that I do not have access to my home shower, home beauty products, and don't have the amount of time I normally would to make sure I look fresh as a daisy? I have hair that tends to frizz when humid. What about smelling good? I know that people are very sensitive to smells these days, so I would think that splashing on a lot of perfume would not be a great idea, but is it any better than smelling like the inside of a knee pad? <laughs> Sorry, that really made me laugh. <laughs> any guidance on your part would be appreciated. All the best. Friendly fitness fan in finance. <laughs> I like all of the alliteration there. Ah, <laughs> Friendly fitness fan and finance. I am going to agree with my cousin Lizzie Post. I think this is a first for this particular question on the show. And yeah. it is such a good one. There are so many good points of etiquette that are brought up by FFFINF. <laughs> I have to start off by telling a little bit of a personal story, Lizzie Post, because okay. this is something I experienced. And I want to acknowledge that this is a, a question that could apply to almost any industry. It applied to me when I was working as a chocolatier. I was working in a chocolate shop while I was a dancer working in the performing arts. And a day job that I had was at the A-Cline Chocolatier. And I had picked up a different workout routine. I had started for the first time in my life going to a gym in the morning I wanted to build upper body strength for partnering work in the dance world, and I needed to be able to lift people. And for a skinny guy from Vermont, that was something that I had to spend some time working on. And mm -hmm. my morning gym routine was something new to me. 
And my supervisor at the chocolatier had to talk to me about my personal hygiene. And it was something that came about because I had shifted my workout routine and I hadn't been thinking about the professional implications, even working at a chocolatier. Mm -hmm. I was able to add a shower in between the workout and coming to work that fixed everything. It was something I was completely unaware of. The way that I often end up telling this story is that the way my supervisor had that talk with me was an example of good etiquette. She ah. asked to speak to me in private. She did it after work, not in front of other people. She told me how much she valued me as an employee, how sure she was that if it was something I was aware of, it wouldn't even be happening. But that oh, I like it that. was something that was affecting other people at work and that it was really important that she talked to me about it. It was it was perfect etiquette on her part in every way. And I often think about it and I couldn't read this question without thinking about it also. From the other side of the equation, I think our question asker is doing the work that I had to do after I was informed that it was an issue. But mm -hmm. it's such good etiquette to be thinking ahead, to be anticipating and asking yourself those questions about social expectations in a new situation or circumstance. I'm dividing the answers that I have for this up into a couple of categories, and I was hoping you could help me with them, Lizzie Post. Okay, okay. I'm seeing a question that's about personal hygiene, just how to take care of yourself and manage your personal hygiene around a new workout routine. And I'm also seeing a question about attire and making attire choices that are professional or at least are appropriate for a professional environment. Where should we start? Dan, let's do attire for, for 500. I feel like I'm on a ding, game ding, show ding. here. <laughs> when I think about attire, when it comes to workout gear, I think you want to be in something comfortable. You want to be in something you can move well in. I know that I get very particular about my attire, which is why I often do my workout at home because I, I don't necessarily think it would be appropriate to do it out in the world the way I'm dressed all the time. Also, I need to replenish some of my workout gear. There are holes in it. And that's something that, that FFFIF has mentioned to us that often they are taking clothing that isn't good for everyday wear and using it as their workout wear. And that's a great way to, to reuse something and to get the most out of it before it's really tattered and you can't wear it at all. But when I start thinking about and, – and there's no problem with that, just so you know. There's no, like, etiquette issue with that. And if you were going to a gym that wasn't connected to your work, I would think no problem at all. It may be that that's also no problem at all at this particular gym, at this particular office. But I just don't know that, not knowing the facility and the people and, and the goal for giving your employees this type of space to be in. I think the very first thing I might do is contact HR or talk to a manager or someone who uses the gym frequently and ask if they've noticed or if they know of any specifics that the company might have asked for, like, hey, we really would appreciate guys to wear shirts, women to wear, to, to not just be in a sports bra. They might have some things like that. I have never been a part of a company gym, so I'm not sure what to look for in that, um, just from an experience perspective. But my etiquette instinct tells me, go find someone who manages this space or who knows this space well, or go find someone in HR and ask if there are any tips or guidance on what to wear in the company gym, because that might just help you out in that space. I'm also going to say that when it comes to gym wear, I, I tend to 
go more of a like no judgment route. You're trying to work out that in and of itself is a very hard thing. I would hate for people to be judging you or saying that you shouldn't be in this space unless you're in really high end, beautiful gear, you know, like that doesn't make sense to me necessarily. You're sweating. This stuff gets dirty. It needs to be functional. I think if something's got a hole in it, how big is the hole? Like those are the things I'm thinking of when I think about trying to work out in a space where the relationships take just a a little more care than maybe if I was on my own out in public and I'm not caring about the relationships around me quite as much beyond being a good public citizen, you know? I hear you. It, the, the, you're balancing those two things. There, There is that latitude that's often allowed for in the workout world where the focus is on the work that you're doing. And people really aren't supposed to be watching and judging each other's attire in the same way in a gym yeah. situation as they might be at work work. And at the same time, it is something that's happening within that work world. Like you, I was saying, I, I'm less concerned about the the clothes getting dirty or smelly, but the, the old and tattered having holes in them. That's something where I say to myself, even if it would be okay at most gyms in a professional circumstance where pretty much everything that you do is part of your professional image – that I might treat myself to some nice workout clothes and say, you know, this is something I'm going to invest in as part of adopting a workout routine that's happening at my office gym. And that doesn't mean you have to spend a a fortune on it. And it doesn't mean that it has to be high fashion, but that Mm -hmm. it's at least well cared for and that it's, that it's new or that it's not something that's, that looks worn or tattered or has a lot of holes in it. I think that the second question that comes to mind for me is, is this too revealing? Is wearing a sports bra and spandex too revealing for an office gym situation? And I really like your idea of getting some clarity. If there are things that you're unsure about, you can ask people in professional circumstances what the guidelines are, and then you know for certain. If you don't have a for certain answer in professional circumstances, the advice I tend to go to is to listen to that little discretionary voice in your head. And it might be that leggings and a sports bra or a tank top top or a workout top are perfectly appropriate. And it might be that I could use that exact same language to describe things that really wouldn't be that appropriate or might feel too revealing for you in a professional situation or a situation where you're likely to run into your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And if you're hearing that little discretionary voice in your mind, I would encourage you to listen to it or, and, and if not defer to it, at least listen to it and say to yourself, okay, if there's some part of me that's wondering if this is appropriate, is there some part of somebody that I'm working with that I would care about the impression that they have? Or would they be wondering about it also? And is it a relatively low effort fix to fall on a much safer, more comfortable side of that line for me and for others? Dan, I'm also thinking about the next sort of topic of questions that you were talking about, which was the, the, the personal hygiene, the care, the, the, how do you make yourself like not sweaty and gross for the rest of your workday if you're doing this at lunch. And the one thing I can't tell from FFFIF's email to us is whether or not there's a shower to be able to utilize mm-hmm. at this particular office gym. And if there isn't, I say, 
be the squeaky wheel. And when you, when you're asked for suggestions or when there are appropriate moments to make suggestions, ask if there's a way a shower can be put in, or maybe if there's a facility nearby that does have a shower that they, they set up some kind of deal with them so that your, the employees at your company can go use that particular shower. But I do think that if you put in a good hard workout, even if you put in a light workout, you're generally going to be pretty sweaty, you know, and that, that does change things like how your hair can be styled or how comfortable you are even in the clothing that you put on afterwards. And I find that to be a big question mark for me in giving this particular answer. Because if there are showers, then I say, all right, my game plan, if I've got to do the noon as the workout time, if that lunchtime hour is really the only time I can make this work, then I want to be bringing basically an entire second set of my hygiene and personal care routine with me so that I kind of have that kit ready to go at the office and I can do the shower, use my moisturizer. Obviously, putting on deodorant is probably a good idea. I don't think we have Native as a sponsor anymore right now. <laughs> but um, it, it, they, we, I still really like their deodorant, just so y'all know. Um, but I, I do feel like creating that kit of all your normal stuff, or at least the stuff that could get you by, would be really important. You mentioned that your hair can get frizzy. And this is one where I start to go a little bit in the direction of I'm a fan of promoting natural hair. I'm a fan of letting people's hair be natural. And if the frizz doesn't make you look unkempt or not put together, then I think frizzy hair is fine. But if you're worried about it or if you're not comfortable with it, I think developing a couple looks for yourself that are like your low maintenance or get it together without having to do the whole blow dry the hair and and use a curling iron or flat iron or something like that. Um, a, a, if you're able to like slick your hair back into a sleek uh, bun or a ponytail or something like that, um, that's a go-to that I've used in the past um, with with my long hair uh, to get it in control. It My hair gnats up at the back a lot. It like... Um, it almost starts to like dread in the, at the nape of my neck really quickly if I'm wearing it down for the day. And I've found that once I hit that point, if I don't have the brush or I don't have the stuff to help me restyle it, that a, a slicked back pony, whether it's up high, low, or like putting it into a bun can really help me look pulled together even if my hair maybe hasn't been showered or it is it is getting kind of knotted up in the back like it tends to when I wear it down. I was thinking a lot like you, Lizzie, that there might be a little bit of trial and error period while you put mm -hmm. together what that post-workout routine is. One of the things that people often key on is scent and body odor. And a mm -hmm. route that some people go is that perfume or cologne route to mask. And yes. it's a caution that we often offer. One, that perfumes and colognes in office environments are often a strict HR no-no. So you want to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. But that also you've taught me that oftentimes perfumes and colognes are activated by body heat. And when they you work are. out, those scents can get stronger and stronger. And mm -hmm. The, the instinct to use them, I think, is one to definitely be cautious about and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe even put in the don't do it unless you're sure it's okay category. Mm -hmm. But things like deodorants that, that are going to minimize scent, um, 
not everybody likes to use them, but they might provide a solution that that works for for a lot of people in this kind of situation. And it's definitely worth considering as part of that developing personal care routine. And it might take a little trial and error to find the right one, the one that's fastest acting or longest acting or best for heavy activity. But that's definitely along with the the tuning up the look, being sure that that the odors that you're presenting the world with are also appropriate for an <laughs> office or things to consider for sure. Dan, the last thing that I want to say about this question that we could probably go on for a very long oh, time. Oh, I want about. to, It's too. already like twice as long as any other question. And I'm sure that FFFIF has already thought about this, but just to put it out there, can you switch your workout time to being just before you go home at the end of the day? Is that possible? Is that doable? That might help to just like separate the two so that you're not worried about going back to work after a big workout or something like that. But your company has provided this. They are prepared for employees to be engaging with it. And so I would hope that they, on the flip side, are then really accepting an understanding of the fact that if they don't have a shower, they've provided employees with a way to work out that they understand that means they're going to have post-workout, you know, bodies in there. I think we've we've definitely given FFFIF a bunch to think about, and I am hoping that it all helps to create a plan and a, a mode of operating that really works for you so that you can meet your fitness and nutrition goals. And from both Dan and I, just big kudos to you for taking part of an advantage of such a cool workplace benefit. Yes. Since the Stone Age, man has spent a lot of time seeking better materials for his clothes. Plus a good deal more towards finding easier and different, always newer, always better ways to get his clothing clean. Right up to today's automatics. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Our next question is called Money for Marriage. Hello. What is the proper cash gift for an average wedding? I understand there are a lot of variables, but my specific question is whether or not you take travel expenses into consideration when deciding upon your gift amount. Is it okay to give a smaller cash gift when you're spending thousands of dollars just to be there in the first place? Thanks, Patty. Patty, this is a great and timely question since it's summer season, which is wedding season. Tis the season. <laughs> Tis the season. But, you know, as you might have heard us say on the show before, it is always our go-to point when it comes to any type of gifting, and that is that you always want to stay within your budget. So in my mind, the answer directly to Patty's question is is yes, you do have to take into account the other elements that you're spending when it comes to a wedding gift, but it's not just be because of 
the gift giving, it's because you have to think about your budget and what you really have to work with when all is said and done. And this is the place where some people end up not going to a wedding because they realize they are going to spend thousands of dollars on it and they, they can't afford a gift on top of that. And it all starts to feel not right to them. And so they instead decline and just send a gift. And that is an option too. But I, I do think that for many people, especially with destination weddings, which so many weddings are destination weddings these days, even if you're still within your country, it can be a complete destination wedding. As you've taught me, for somebody yeah. at the wedding, it's probably a destination wedding no matter where you have it. Exactly. And so I think realistically, yes, you are factoring this in. But I think we tend to come at it more from the angle and, well, when all is said and done, what's your budget for a wedding gift? And I never like to say that any cash amount is not worthy of being given as a gift. But I do think that... And I'll, maybe I'll put it into the personal version. For me personally, I tend to think of if I can give 50 or more, that that becomes a, a meaningful or significant cash gift for someone for something like a big life event like a wedding. And if my budget isn't going to be in that particular range or, or, or if I'm not going to be able to give $50 as a gift, then I start to think about really wanting to present a physical gift. I could see getting a adorable little congratulations on your wedding card from a maybe a child you babysit for or a niece or a nephew that has like a $5 bill slipped into it as like the most adorable, sweet, like meaningful thing ever. And yet for some reason, $5 for a wedding in a card for from like a friend of mine might seem a little off or a little strange or a little different. I tend to think of that 5, 10, 20 range as an everyday range, a, a range that you could easily spend on, on lunch or a coffee or something simple in your everyday life as, as not something that I personally want to put into a card and give to someone as a congratulations. And I want to say that that doesn't mean it can't be that if that's your budget and that's what really works for you. But I do think we we cross into this strange territory because of like, how do you feel about giving this particular amount as cash? And that's probably going to be a little bit different for everybody. Some people might think my 50 seems like too low to give as a cash gift. It is difficult, Lizzie Post, and I appreciate your effort to take a try at it because it is helpful and it helps for me to hear you talk about that that five ten twenty dollar range feeling more every day to you mm -hmm. and i think that's a great way to keep track of it how does that gift feel to you and and really thinking about that as someone who gives the gift i think that's a really honest way to approach it i think there's a lot of integrity in that and it's it's not easy to say, well, if a friend gave me as a wedding present a card that had $5 in it, that would feel a little strange to me or feel a little awkward because generally speaking, we want to receive gifts well. Yeah, but you I don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? You like don't. <laughs> and I know that you would never say that and you would never let that thought come across in the moment. But I also think it's realistic to acknowledge that and that feeling. And I like your idea that when, you're, when your budget maybe doesn't allow for you to, to gift an amount that feels like a an amount that's, I don't want to say substantial, but commensurate with the, the type of event that you're gifting yeah. for, a big life event like a wedding. 
-hmm. that figuring out a way to personalize a gift that's less costly is a way to achieve that feeling and, and, and is probably a, an advisable way to go or something that's really worth considering or thinking about. In my head, I have the $100 number. That's just for me personally what I think about when I think about a wedding gift. But mm-hmm. I, I could easily see drifting up or down from that based on circumstances. And I think a $50 floor on that thought or feeling for me personally also works really well. And for cash, yeah. Absolutely. And then if I start to think about under that, I like your idea of thinking about the physical gift as a way to – Maybe invest a little something of yourself or some of your effort, either in the acquisition of it or the presenting of it or the personalization of it yeah. as a way to give it that that something extra or that something special that, that might be nice to do for something like a wedding gift. Patty, we hope that our answer helps and that you're able to get to the wedding if that's what works for you and that you're able to celebrate in a way that makes you and the couple feel good. This represents the final stage in the evolution of modern money. For while metal coins are handy for dealing in small amounts of money, when transactions require larger amounts, paper money is far more practical. A $5 bill, for example, is much easier to handle than, say, $5 in dimes. And just imagine buying something that costs $100 and paying for it with 10,000 cents. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our next question is titled, Eating Etiquette. First of all, I am so thankful for your podcast. It has helped me maneuver through life a little more gracefully. My friends and family would agree. My question is about eating lunch served at a restaurant. My coworker and I were having lunch with a customer. My meal and the customer's meal were served. The waiter kind of paused and realized my coworker's meal was missing. She apologized and said she would put in a rush order. At first, we waited several minutes and just kept the conversation going. I offered half of my salad to my coworker. He and I are are good friends, so no worries there. But he declined. My coworker spoke up and asked us to go ahead and eat. But that just didn't seem right. Should we have begun eating because he said to go ahead? Should we have waited? I look forward to your answer. Thank you, Amanda. Dan, I feel like this is a cliffhanger. I, I want to know what Amanda and the customer actually ended up doing in the moment. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I was so satisfied with hearing that the coworker offered the dispensation. I, I don't right? think I was as as on um as as on edge as you were to know what exactly happened. <laughs> I didn't even realize that we didn't know what happened. <laughs> But I am just delighted. Oh, this is an etiquette classic, though. It's such an etiquette classic. It absolutely is. And and I am delighted that the coworker offered that dispensation. That's so the the good thing to do in that moment. Oh, please don't wait for me. It would be a shame to let that get cold. Go ahead and get started. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the beginning of the good etiquette. And I think the good etiquette continues when you make a choice and 
I think either choice is valid to either take mm -hmm. them up on that dispensation and go ahead and begin. Or if you really don't feel comfortable, if that just feels too awkward for you, and I know for a lot of people, they really prefer not to eat until everybody's been served. I think that it's okay to wait. I don't think that sitting there patiently while your salad is in front of you is going to put anyone else at the table on edge. For me, it would probably be a, a bit of a circumstantial decision. Is this hot food and it's a shame mm -hmm. to let it get cold? Or is it just a salad where no harm, no foul? I can wait till they put another one together and get everybody at the table something to eat. Okay, I'm going to take it a step further. Ready? I'm ready. So if I would also think about what the customer has. Because if the customer mm -hmm. has a hot dish and I have a cold dish mm -hmm. and I wait while they begin, that might be awkward for them. And it's going to be a lot less awkward for my coworker to wait with no food when he has offered that we start eating than it is going to be for the client or the customer to be eating alone while you both wait, one of you having food, one of you not. So I, I think I would probably lean into – what is the customer doing? Mm -hmm. And I will do what they choose to. But that's just that's just how I would go about that situation. <laughs> I was going to go the same place. I was thinking yeah. about the two coworkers, one customer, and essentially that host guest relationship that you're really wanting to take care of that customer as the, mm -hmm. the coworker team. And I was also like you thinking that if my coworker offered the dispensation, I, as the coworker, might take them up on it just to free up the guest to do what to do it they too. wanted. Yes. And yeah. if, if they had already taken them up on it, I would definitely follow suit and join them in eating. If they looked hesitant, I liked your idea of keeping an eye on what they have in front of them. If it would be, in your eyes, better for them to have that option, I might proceed. And that might be one of the things that would guide me towards going ahead, whatever was in front of me. But I absolutely was taking into account that tr the relationship within that triad, who's connected right. to who, how are they connected? And that would definitely play into my decision making around that choice in the moment of whether or not to listen to the coworker and, and go ahead or to wait. Okay, so then how about this? What if instead of the coworker not having been served, it was the customer who wasn't served? The two coworkers are served. Like I'm waiting. Definitely waiting. You know, you're waiting. You're waiting. You're definitely waiting. And if the customer says, like, insists, is just like, oh my gosh, please, you both have hot dishes. Like, please dig in. Mine will be out very soon. It'll all be fine. Like, would you go ahead and eat? After the insistence, yes. Yes, I wouldn't I make agree. the mask, I would, a third but I would time. wait for that insistence for sure. <laughs> oh, dining etiquette. You never fail us. I love talking about it. Amanda, thank you so much for submitting this question. Please let us know what actually ended up happening at the table. Inquiring minds want to know. And uh, we hope that this makes the next awkward when should we begin moment a little smoother. And please give our best to your friends and family. Table manners are important, because people judge many things about you just by the way you eat. All right, maybe so, but it's it's also complicated. Is it? You see, Chuck, it's easy to do the right thing. If you remember courtesy, consideration of others, common sense. Thank you. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we're at Emily Post Institute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a member of the Awesome Etiquette community on Patreon. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Anonymous on our latest episode, episode 404. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'd like to share another perspective on the situation described by Melissa in her letter in episode 404. Her in-laws were asking the value of individual wedding gifts she and her husband had received from family members. Here was the situation in my family growing up. My father had many siblings, and as his many nieces and nephews began to get married, my mom noticed that her sisters-in-law would badmouth others behind their backs if they felt the value of the wedding gifts their children received was inadequate. It was along the lines of, We gave Joey a food processor, but they only gave Janie a cheap toaster. Sadly, there are people who keep score like this. At least a couple of my aunts would immediately purge someone from their Christmas card list if they didn't receive a card the previous year. Therefore, in the interest of family harmony, my mother felt that she had to be careful to give all of the children on my dad's side of the family gifts of equal value to those my brother and I received to avoid being dragged through the mud by her in-laws. It's perhaps also relevant to mention that my mother had no family of her own, so it was important to her not to rock the boat with my dad's large family. I believe Melissa said that she's a relatively new member of her husband's family, and so I will suggest that it's possible that there are similar dynamics at play in that family. It's easy to say that everyone should take the high road and ignore such gossip and give what is appropriate to their own circumstances, but sometimes that's easier said than done. Anyway, I just thought I'd pass along that perspective for what it's worth. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for that perspective. It is indeed true. There are lots of people who operate from this type of way or who feel like they really must participate in this type of um, gift giving at an equal level because I don't want people talking about my gift as not having been good enough. 
and any one of us could fall prey to the pressure that we feel when we encounter a group that behaves that way. I like to think of it as our job here at Emily Post to to encourage people to to not have to participate in that kind of pressure. And I also really like your realistic view of the fact that a lot of people might not be confident or able to or in a place where they feel ready to combat that type of pressure. So thanks so much for the perspective. It was so well described. I could follow it exactly. (laughs) And it it helped me have an understanding of a particular dynamic that someone might be aware of that they would want to manage in a particular kind of way. Absolutely. Thank you, Anonymous, for this feedback. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to take another peek into the extraordinary origins of everyday things by Charles Panati. And today's reading is going to look at the impact Wedgwood ware had on modern dining. Lizzie Bost, I am so etiquette geek excited for this. The history of Wedgwood? <laughs> are you kidding me? So for those of you who are going, why is Dan so excited? Wedgwood is, it's an English fine china. They also eventually, and they started making porcelain, luxury accessories kind of manufacturer that was founded back in, in the 1700s. And so it was wildly successful where it really quickly became largely manufactured. And that really kind of leads to I won't say some of the first, but it feels like some of the first like sets of dinnerware that you would purchase from a place and people nearby might have also purchased it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of us really geeking out on dinnerware and, and the things that we use at the table. An so, early standard, a very yeah. early standard. Yeah. Panati begins, this is on page 88 and 89 of the book. Wedgwood Ware, 18th century England. Although pottery had been fashioned and fired for thousands of years, by the 1700s, there were still no mass-produced identical plates, bowls, cups, and saucers. A craftsman could produce an exquisitely delicate, multi-hued plate or a whole series of plates, handmade and hand-painted, But there was no way to ensure that each item and its color would be consistently the same. In fact, pieces from a set of high-quality dinnerware often varied from yellowish cream to pearl white. One determined man, Josiah Wedgwood, born in 1730 into a family of potters from Staffordshire, England, would soon change that. The youngest of 12, Wedgwood received only rudimentary schooling before his father died, forcing him to work in the family pottery plant at age nine. While still a child, Wedgwood began exploring new ways to color clay, first by trial and error, then by painstaking chemical methods. 
the idea of tampering with the family's proven pottery formulas so infuriated his brothers that Josiah opened a rival pottery business in 1759. As his own master, Wedgwood experimented with new glazes, clay additives, and firing techniques, keeping meticulous research notes so a particularly promising process could be exactly duplicated. His systematic tenacity paid off. In the early 1760s, he perfected a method for uniformly coloring the popular earthenware of the day. Throughout Europe, the results were heralded as a major breakthrough. And the simple elegance of Wedgwood ware, delicate neoclassical figures applied in white cameo-like relief on a tinted background, captured the changing taste of European aristocrats who were moving away from the ornate clutter of Baroque and Rococo designs. Wedgwood's high-quality, perfectly reproducible dinnerware arrived at the right time in history. With the Industrial Revolution underway in England, steam power and inexpensive factory labor greatly increased the availability of his product. Wedgwood's plates came to the attention of England's royal court. In 1765, he was commissioned to make a tea service for Queen Charlotte. An instinctive self-promoter, Wedgwood was keenly aware of the publicity value of royal patronage. He sought and received permission to christen his service Queensware. If orders were brisk before, now it seemed that every aristocrat in Europe desired to own full place settings. From Russia, Empress Catherine commissioned service for 200 guests, a total of 952 pieces of Queensware. Despite his personal wealth and friendships with European nobility, Wedgwood remained a man of strong democratic views. He publicly supported the American Revolution, yay, and was outspoken in his opposition to slavery. An anti-slavery cameo he produced showed a slave in chains and bore the inscription, Am I not a man and a brother? Josiah Wedgwood died in 1795, leaving a large part of his estate to his daughter, Susanna Wedgwood Darwin, whose son Charles would one day be even more renowned than his grandfather. Okay, I'm imagining shipping a thousand pieces of porcelain to Russia from England. Okay, how about the fact that the most important and powerful woman in Russia is willing to purchase dishware that is called like the you know the queens and we're talking about a different queen it's not her it's it's you know she didn't want her own she wanted what charlotte had the queens wear some things change and some things stay very much the same <laughs> um i did think it was really cool also think it's really cool that his grandson is darwin i mean that's pretty amazing also very cool and I had recently been watching something about a similar moment in German history with German porcelain manufacture and the mm -hmm. early factories that standardized both the production methods, but also the, the mass production of mm -hmm. tableware in a way that really allowed people to standardize the presentation for sets to be completed and then added on to parts replaced 
for different lines to be compared to each other. It, it created a whole new market and a whole new standard for how people mm-hmm. thought about setting the table and sharing food. Well, I, I certainly like coming across these bits of history. As interesting it is to hear where the actual manners come from, I also really like finding out the history of the, sort of the things we use that are associated with etiquette. I could think of Dan's deep dives into some of the stationery that we've talked about on the show over the years. Pens are another topic that we haven't touched yet, but it, it floats in my mind as something that... A, a good pen that's easy to use could really make a difference in people being able to to write and communicate with one another. And anyway, there I I, I, like Post, I think you just mapped out a postscript, <laughs> a future one, a one one for the future. Um, but thanks so much for indulging me and in diving into to Wedgwood's history. Well, thanks for finding it and thanks for sharing it. We all appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Katie. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener to the podcast and gain so much value each episode. As a wife, mom, and educator, I am better for having your podcast as part of my routine. One of my favorite parts of being an elementary school teacher is that I advise a girls' group. We spend the year learning about life skills that don't fit neatly in the math or English coursework. Etiquette takes up much of our time. As an annual closing activity, the girls get to plan and host a brunch. They each invite a staff member as their guest. They love this freedom and responsibility. The end of the year is packed with so much and calendar space is somewhat coveted. Because of this, I reached out to each invited staff member and explained how grateful I was that they were able to come and reassured him or her that a pop-in would be acceptable and that the students were aware of how busy teachers are during this phase of the school year. The girls and I worked to ensure their guests felt honored, and not as if this was one more obligation. This salute goes out to each of my co-workers, who not only graciously accepted the girls' invites, but who showed up spent time, accepted tea and quiche, (laughs) conversed with students at a deeper level than simply about their role to the student within our school building, and showed how good guests act. We had a great time, and the staff members' attention to engaging in conversation with the students and modeling a social situation my girls typically do not encounter was inspiring. For most, if not all, of these girls, it was their first time doing the host-guest dance in this way. Thanks to every staff member, custodian to principal, for squeezing in brunch without making it feel like a squeeze at all. You taught those girls a wonderful lesson that day. With gratitude, Katie. Oh, Katie, this is a wonderful salute. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's I, I am right there with you. I am loving all of these school contacts that these girls had who were willing to take the time and and kind of go that extra mile and participate in something extra. And it, it, it really does make a difference to kids. It really, really does. It warms my heart, too. Thank you, Katie, for sharing this etiquette salute. And thank you for listening to our show today. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. The show really does depend on you, and we appreciate it so much. And thanks to all who support us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, coworkers, strangers on the street, any way that you like to share podcasts. <laughs>
You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text, and we love to hear your voice at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of our podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dow. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.